Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Good morning, Antioch Sheffield. What an honour it is to be able to share with you today on Mother's Day. Thank you, Todd, for the, in, for the wonderful introduction. And I want to bring you greetings from the north of Scotland, from River Church, Banff, and from the network here, where we are really blessed with what God's doing in our churches here. So we extend and share with you and impart to you some of the blessing that we are experiencing here. You know, it's well over 20 years since I had either of my daughters staying at home. And so I've had nobody at home on Mother's Day. However, I do cherish and remember the days when Joe told me to stay in bed and he would get the girls ready to bring breakfast to me on a tray. And then later on, once they got Saturday jobs, they wanted to buy something with their own money. Deuteronomy 5 verse 16 tells us to honour your father and mother as God commanded you, that your days may be long and it may be well with you in the land which the Lord is giving you. So men, it's really important to train your children by example to honour their mother. And of course, women, it's equally important for you to train your children to honour and respect their father. I am aware, however, that today... Despite all the celebrations which are correct and it's right to honour mothers, that it's a bittersweet day for many of you. And we want to acknowledge that this morning before we look at the Word of God. So if you have lost your mother over the past two years and were unable to celebrate her life or have the kind of funeral service that you would have liked to have had, today I understand it can be a difficult day for you. You may have had a great relationship with your mother, and every time Mother's Day comes, it's just a reminder of how much you miss her in your life. On the other hand, you may have had a strained, or still have a strained relationship with your mother, and again, Mother's Day just highlights that um, difficult relationship. Or perhaps you have longed to be a mother, and it hasn't happened yet, or you haven't met the right man, and for you there's a great deal of sadness associated with Mother's Day. These are all areas of personal grief and loss. And Isaiah 53 describes Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So let us pause for a minute to be real before the Lord and allow Holy Spirit to comfort our hearts. You're in the privacy of your own home, so just take a moment Bring your pain, your disappointment, your grief before the one who is able to comfort you. No one else can comfort you like Jesus. You know, there is a season for grieving and then there is a time to rise up again. That time differs for each one of us. But you know, the great news is that Jesus stays with us in our grief even when others have moved on. Friends and family can sometimes move on quicker than you. Jesus will stay with you until the time of grieving is over. Today, though, I would like to share with you some thoughts and lessons from the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth is only four chapters long, and if you haven't read it, it really is worth reading because it's a story. 
And it's a hidden gem about one family during the time of the judges period in Israel. And the book is between the time of the judges and the time of the kings. Sometimes, you know, we can get a little bit overwhelmed by the whole world and what's happening in the world, especially in the current climate of today. And our lives seem so small and insignificant. But you know, God is the God of the whole world. He is a mighty big God, but he is also the God of the individual. And sometimes when we feel insignificant, we can wonder what it's all about. But this story reminds us that God is a God who sees the great as well as the small. Okay, you men out there, you may be thinking, oh no, here's a woman preacher going to speak about women today. I'm out of here. Please don't go, stay with us, because this story centers around two men and two women, and there are lessons for us all from their lives. I'm not going to read the four chapters of the book of Ruth, so I'm just going to tell you a brief synopsis of the story. You see, the book of Judges records seasons of famine and judgment as a result of the people's idolatry, followed by times of repentance, refreshing, and prosperity. During one of these families, a certain man called Elimelech decides to uproot his wife Naomi and their two sons and move them from Bethlehem to Moab because of the famine. There in Moab he dies... And both his sons marry Moabite women called Orpah and Ruth. In time, both these men also die, and we now have got three widows living together. Somehow, Naomi hears that the famine has ended in Bethlehem and that there's food there and decides to return to her hometown. Initially, both daughters insist on going with her despite her protest because, as she says, she has got nothing to offer them. However, they all three set off on the journey, but as the journey becomes difficult, Orpah takes her advice and heads home to her father's house. But Ruth clings to Naomi and continues the journey to Bethlehem. And I'm going to read those, very, those two very famous verses out of Ruth chapter 1 that are sometimes used at a wedding service. This is Ruth speaking. It says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. What a statement of commitment. To provide for them in Bethlehem, Ruth gleans. That was a typical thing that people did when they were poor. As in the providence of God, they arrive back in Bethlehem at the time of barley harvest, followed by the time of wheat harvest. Think back to Genesis. God created everything, all the birds, the animals, the herbs, the plants, food before Adam was ever created. So Adam stepped into God's provision. And that's what happened to Naomi and Ruth. They, in the providence of God, they stepped into his provision that they hadn't sown for. 
The law, you see, instructed farmers not to harvest the edges and the corners of their fields so that the poor could gather um, wheat and barley there and take it home. Ruth finds herself gleaning in the field of Boaz, who shows her great kindness. She ends up marrying Boaz, and their son, Obed, is the grandfather of King David. So we're now going to have a look at the leading man and woman and the supporting man and woman in this story, which has got all the ingredients for a blockbuster movie. So first of all, we're going to turn our attention to Elimelech. You know, there had been many famines in the time of Judges. I think there were seven cycles of famine and then of prosperity. And at this time, there wasn't a mass exodus. But Elimelech doesn't seem to have the patience to ride out the famine. You know, farmers don't want to give up their land very easily. Farmers normally love their land and will ride out poor returns, always hoping that the next year the harvest is going to be better. But he decides to move his family to Moab. Now, these people were descended from an incestuous relationship between Noah and his eldest daughter. And these Moabites were polygamists and idol worshippers. And they were hated by the Jews because of the way they had treated them when they were moving from Egypt to the Promised Land. So Elimelech gave up his inheritance in the Promised Land, walking by sight and not by faith, and chose to settle in the land of Moab, despite God's provision given in Leviticus 25, verse 20, 20, sorry, 35, for the poor, the equivalent really of a modern-day food bank. In doing so, Elimelech led his family out with the covering of God and clearly didn't instruct his sons to marry from their own people. You know, the grass on the other side of the fence always looks greener, but we don't always see the pitfalls there. When difficult seasons come in our lives, it's easy to look at the world and what it has to offer as a more comfortable place than the harder, narrow way we may currently be walking on. However, there is a price to pay, and our decisions affect our families and others who look to us or are influenced by us. Churches, too, you know, can go through challenging seasons, and some jump ship then, thinking somewhere else might be better, even although there has been a commitment made to that particular body. Our commitment to a local body is often tested, and we can be offended and withdraw from fellowship. So what do we learn? What's the challenge from Elimelech? Well, men, there is a responsibility on you to lead your family well. And the Holy Spirit is in you to help you to do that. Equally, if you are a woman on your own leading a family, the Holy Spirit will help you just as much. You know, parenting is hard work. And these days, I think it's harder work than the time that I was a parent. But it's 24-7. It's when you're tired. It's when you feel that your plate is full. It's when you're not feeling well yourself. Parenting is definitely a challenge, and we definitely need God's help in order to make a good job of it. Okay, let's turn our attention to Naomi. 
You know, there was no widow's pension in those days, and an older widow relied on her family to take care of her. So when her husband died, she looked to her sons. But of course, her sons also died. But sons in those days took their wives to their family home. So often an extension would be built for the new family to live in. And young widows could return to their father's house and hopefully remarry. But someone like Naomi had very few options. And she allowed bitterness to grow in her heart. If you read the story, when she returns to Bethlehem, the people couldn't believe it was her because, in a sense, her life showed on her face and she looked very different from the 10 years ago when she had left. And she said to them, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara because I am bitter. She felt that God had dealt harshly with her and dwelt on her disappointments in life and what she didn't have instead of looking at what she did have. However, like the rest of us, even if we have wrong thinking in one area of our life, it doesn't mean that all our thinking is wrong. She still had faith to return to Bethlehem, believing that things would somehow improve if she returned to God's people. You know, a bit like the prodigal son. She was at the end, and she came back and discovered grace and provision. Having said all of that about her, there were great points to Naomi's life. She's a great example of living in harmony with her daughters-in-law, especially that each of them were dealing with grief and loss as well. Not always the easiest of relationships, especially living with each other. Secondly, although she had continued to live in Moab, she still had some relationship with God as that sparked an interest in Ruth to have find out more about this God of Naomi. So, you know, even when we're struggling ourselves, the life of God within us can touch those with a hungry heart. Thirdly, Naomi is also a great example of a coach, mentor, and discipler. Although her life was not perfect, she instructs Ruth in the Jewish traditions and ways of life. When Naomi discovers that Ruth has found favor with Boaz and that he is a near relative and possible kinsman redeemer, she carefully instructs Ruth on how to ask Boaz to be their redeemer. We learn from Naomi that even though our life is not perfect, if we have a relationship with God, we have got something we can give to someone else and help them to go further in their relationship with the Lord than we have gone ourselves. As Ruth grew and followed Naomi's instructions, she was blessed beyond her wildest dreams. And Naomi also received a reward for her investment, a grandson, that our name would be carried on and a secure future because Boaz looked after her um, financially as well. So, you know, investment always reaps a reward. We invest in many things. We invest in our savings. Well, not that the interest rates have been terribly high over these last few years. We invest in our education. We invest in our career. We invest in our family. And hopefully, we invest in the church and in mission. So the question is, the challenge from the life of Naomi is, who are you investing in? 
As believers, all of us have something to impart to others. Are you giving your time in some way to benefit and encourage someone else? There is a reward in due season in this life and certainly in eternity, where no one can rob us of that reward. And although we've looked at Naomi, all I've said applies to you men as well. Okay, we're now coming to the heroine of our story, Ruth. As a young widow herself, she chooses to commit to Naomi and leave all that is familiar to her and go and live somewhere completely foreign among people that she doesn't know with customs and a God she knows very little about. A courageous woman indeed. So what can we learn from her? Well, the first thing, especially from what I just read, this, the part of uh, Ruth 1, commitment and faithfulness. And in the long haul, commitment and faithfulness always bring God's blessing. In the long haul. Not always immediately, but in the long haul. Every one of us go through seasons of testing and warfare when it's easy to give up or give in to negative thinking and draw back. In these times, we tend to have spiritual amnesia. Have any of you suffered from that? I have. Where we lose our way a bit and we can't remember quite clearly the things that God has said to us. Remember Jesus in the wilderness, he went through a time of testing by his father and temptation by the devil. After he passed the tests and resisted the temptations, Satan left him, as it says, for an opportune time, meaning that he would return. You know, it's wonderful to be on the mountaintop. We've got clear vision. We feel God's presence. We sense victory in our lives but we don't live there all the time. We have to go through the valley, and the valley is necessary, and then we reach the next mountain. But have you ever noticed that agriculturally, nothing much grows on top of the mountain? It's down the valley that things grow. And that is the truth in our lives as well. Although the feelings are great on the mountaintop, it's down in the valley where the word is tested, where our lives are tested, that that's where real growth takes place. Secondly, she was teachable and submissive to her mother-in-law. She followed her advice and instructions. We always need to be learners with a teachable heart. In life group, I have often learned by listening to someone else's understanding of Scripture or how their faith has worked in a given situation. Ruth paid particular attention to the very detailed instructions on how to approach Boaz to ask him to be her redeemer. You know, my experience has been that new believers are hungry and teachable, but for those of us who've been on the road much longer, it's easy to become jaded, cynical, or content where we are. The Bible says contentment is a good thing, but not if it leads to apathy and inertia. Thirdly, Ruth was a foreigner in a small town from a despised nation. The locals were weary of her. She was an outcast among the young women, and fair game for the young men at harvest time. In the providence of God, she ends up gleaning in Boaz's field. 
and he ensures her protection and instructs her to glean with the young woman in his fields and not go anywhere else. He even goes as far as to tell his reapers to give her more grain. In other words, to drop grain where she is gleaning so that she, all she has to do is pick it up. You know, Boaz himself knew what it was to be not fully Jewish, as his mother was Rahab the harlot from Jericho, who turned her back on her family and customs to marry Salmon, who was one of the spies sent out to spy out Jericho. One of the lies that the enemy often tells us is that we don't fit in in the church and that nobody wants to be our friend. But Ruth kept doing the right thing, even although in her new situation she had very little encouragement. Fourthly, as Ruth showed kindness to Naomi, God saw and worked through Boaz to show kindness to her. Simple agricultural truth. We reap what we sow. She sowed kindness and reaped kindness. If we want daffodils growing in our garden, we have to plant daffodil bulbs. If we want wheat growing in a field, we have to plant wheat seeds. So the same is true spiritually. If we want friends, we need to be friendly. We don't, we can't, we have to take initiatives in our lives. That's what Ruth did. She took initiative. Now we're going to turn to Boaz. So, sorry, before I leave there, the challenge is, what are you wanting to reap? So the challenge is, are you sowing what you want to reap? Okay, and lastly, we're going to look at Boaz. Now, somehow, Boaz had become a wealthy farmer. There was famine, remember, Elimelech had left, but Boaz had prospered. And in Boaz, we see a man of integrity and wisdom. He was generous to his workers and caring towards the poor. Elimelech had lost his inheritance, either selling it or mortgaging it. Whatever the case, Naomi couldn't afford to buy it back. However, under Jewish law, a near kinsman, in other words, a relative, could buy it back and marry the widow. In this case, it was Ruth. Boaz responds to Ruth's request to be her redeemer, but points out the actual fact there is a nearer kinsman who really has got the right of first option. Boaz, from the story, has clearly taken a shine to Ruth. But he didn't want to rush ahead and meet her request, but did the right thing, even if it meant that he might lose her, and went to the nearer kinsman first. You can read about it in Ruth. The nearer kinsman declines. Perhaps he would have liked the land, but not the Moabitess, who was part of the deal. So in the end... Boaz marries Ruth. You know, integrity often involves hard choices and is the opposite to selfish ambition, which makes choices to promote self. Integrity resists temptation when no one else sees. It's actually a slow-growing plant in our lives, but it is of great value in God's sight. It also means that when you speak, your words have power and authority because of that integrity that's within. 
So the challenge to us from the life of Boaz is, are we people of integrity? So in conclusion this morning, beyond these personal lives, you see, Boaz is a type of Christ who is our Redeemer. That is the one who has bought us back and given us an inheritance in himself, which is eternal. Ruth is a type of the church, the ones who've been redeemed, provided for, given a robe of righteousness so that we can come boldly into the presence of God. Mother's Day is a day for expressing gratitude. So let us take opportunity this morning to express afresh our gratitude to the one, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to redeem us, to buy us back, to buy us back so that we could have a relationship with God the Father, to give us new life and inheritance and pleasures forevermore. You know, Jesus extended mercy and grace to each of us. So let us this week express grace and mercy to those that we meet in the coming days. Let's pray. So Father, we want to thank you today for Jesus. We thank you today that he is our Redeemer, that he is the one who has bought us back. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us, enables us to live the life that we're called to. And we thank you for the inheritance that we have in our Father and the, the good things that he's got in store for us as we continue on this journey with him. Have a blessed day with your family down in Sheffield and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.